Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 17. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection solution with a mission to make the internet safer place for both brands and consumers. In this podcast, we will share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection and anti-counterfeit from many different industries around the world. We are so happy you could join us today. And please check out all of our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Tavares Bruyton, Vice President and General Counsel at Geolis North America. Since Tavares was an eight-year-old boy, he always thought he wanted to be in the NFL. He played American football from a very young age all the way through college. And according to Tavares, things that you want to do and things that you're good at divert at some point. When he was a sophomore in college, he got a job at a correctional facility, and that changed his life. Thank you very much, Tavares, for joining us today. We're excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you. And I wanted to start the uh, conversation with you with a question about uh, if you were to compete in the Olympics, Tavares, what kind of athlete would you want a uh, competition would you want to compete in? I would be a discus thrower. A discus thrower. That's great. How come? Um, uh, I think that's more suited to my athletic ability at this point. Strong and you throw you throw throw well, right? I like to think so. Awesome. And when you think about uh, your career as a span of your career, is there a, a funny or interesting experience you tend to share with people when you're out and having a drink or whatever, and you kind of recall this story? Is there something like that that kind of connects? Yeah, when I think about uh, a funny it's funny now it wasn't so funny when it was happening but uh when i first started working for the department of justice in the united states you know i was a rookie and i ran down um to do a hearing and i forgot my rule book upstairs and and sure enough the judge asked me something i didn't know that i needed the book for and and she took me to task for it and so when i think about that and and and, and think about my career i think that's pretty it was pretty funny, pretty common rookie mistake. Yeah. Well, listen, as, as you mentioned, as a sort of a rookie move, you know, these things happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and tell us, uh, for those who may not know you that well, tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you want to be when you grow up? You know, I, I wanted to be a, uh, I think a professional athlete when I think about it. You know, I played um, American football since you know, eight years old, I always thought that, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Um, you know, the things that you want and talent kind of diverge at some point. And so, so I, I had to become a lawyer. <laughs> the NFL wasn't in your cards, huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what was your position that you thought if, if you could pull this off, like what would you have excelled at? What would be the position you think you might've done? You know, I think it was defensive end. Defensive end. So you had the good speed. Yeah, I like to think so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Listen, as young people, we probably all had a little more speed and strength than we have today. But uh, although you're still young, I'm not so much as young. But how did you decide you wanted to sort of move in the, in this profession as a lawyer? Like, what what was the sort of transformational aha moment that after the NFL wasn't there, you thought, well, law would be cool. 
You know, I didn't really think about law until I was a sophomore, um, junior in college. You know, um, I was staying up. I played college football and I had gotten a summer job at a correctional facility, um, surprisingly enough. And I remember being in the dining hall and I saw this guy carrying a tray for an older gentleman. And I remember asking, what are you doing and why are you doing that? And he said, hey, that's my father. So it was a son and a father incarcerated together. And I and I really wanted to know more about this legal system and process and, where, and how this could happen. And that was the initial um, spark for me to, to think about law. And so, but. You know, and you were in your 19, 20 years old, something like that, when you had that experience? Yeah, I, I was. That's about right. I was 19, 20 years old. Um, wow. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to go to law school and 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 started working towards it what what a pivotal moment i mean you know uh, when you you know you see something that doesn't make sense or you know you need to deep uh dive deeper and uh change your life that's awesome yeah yeah i mean i i always think about that moment and and just that 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 light bulb going off right that is very cool tavares um maybe following up on that Tell us a little bit about your journey. Where did you go to uh, college and play college football and, and begin that career of studying? And then, you know, how did you get to uh, your pathway to Keolis? Yeah, absolutely. So I um I went to the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. You know, uh, most people who are lawyers know because that's where Clarence Thomas went. Um, I, I went to law school at Boston College here in uh, in Massachusetts. From there, I actually went to Europe and played professional football for a year after passing the bar. And then I went to Nixon Peabody as a first-year associate in the life sciences um, department. Did that for about five years, um, cut my teeth as a litigator. And I like to think about, um, built a um, pretty good reputation for being a, a good lit- litigator. And then got an opportunity to go to work for the Department of Justice, where I focused on white collar crime, organized crime. And that was really, you know, a pivotal moment for my career um, because, you know, you know, some complex cases working with the FBI, CIA, and, and, and the DEA and the various agencies. Did that for a number of years. And then I went back into a law firm as a partner. And then ultimately I went to, uh, a, uh, to United Technologies. And, and, and that's when I really got into government investigations, you know, and traveling the world doing that. Um, and from there, I, I've been in various um, corporations, the latest being Keolis. Very interesting. I, I think about your story, and I, I'm, I'm assuming, although I don't know, but I'm assuming that your competitiveness as a college and, and professional athlete sort of puts you in a interesting position as a litigator, you know, both when you went to your private firm and then with the Department of Justice. I mean, I think that background of yours helps you along your professional career. Yeah, I mean, to this day, you know, I, I get up early and, and work out at four in the morning and, and it's just it's something, a habit that you built with the exception of that funny story I told you about not being prepared. I typically, um, you know, like to prepare and, and, and really focus on that and that's helped me in my career. That's great, thank you. And maybe for those uh, those who are listening today who may not uh, fully be aware of Kios America and the business you're in, maybe share a little bit about what where you're based, how many countries, you know, what's the company all about? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, with the caveat, everything I say about the company is my opinion and not, you know, and not, um, you know, necessarily the opinion of the organization. Uh, Keolis North America is a um, division of Keolis Group, which is a global, one of the biggest transportation companies in the world. And Keolis Group is all over the world. Um, Keolis North America, we're, part, we're based in Boston. And as the name suggests, um, we are... Um, North American transportation company. So we have operations across the U.S., um, Canada, and hopefully other places in North America. And what we do is we manage transportation systems for public transportation authorities. You know, like here in the city of Boston, the commuter rail is owned by the state, but we operate it. And and we do that in, number, in a number of cities, you know, across the country. Very cool. And if you had to describe Keolis North America in one sentence, how would you describe it? I would say innovative, right? And most people, when you think about transportation, you know, it doesn't, innovation doesn't come to mind. But what I've learned being in the industry is that, you know, transportation is really a economic and social justice issue. Um, it is connecting people to opportunity um, and bringing people together. You know, if if a if a system is poorly designed and poorly operating, people don't have access um, to the things that they need, and it's really, you know, incumbent upon companies to think about new and creative ways to do that. Um, whether in, in in addition to that, you know, how do you make transportation more sustainable, decrease the you know environmental footprint, um, and so there's a lot that that happens there that I think is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, when you think about it, listening to your answer, I, when I think about, you know, opportunity, like you mentioned, I mean, opportunity doesn't always present itself in the community or rural or urban area, you know, uh, area you live in. And so the ability to get to where you need to get to for your place of work or your opportunities to expand your place of work, you know, we rely on transportation and we don't really think about it. We just assumed it's there and we can, you know, it'll get us from where we want to go to where we need to be. Right, right. Very cool. And um, when you think of your role as uh, vice president and general counsel of Keolis, is there a task you work on regularly that you think or some challenge that sort of presents itself as one of the more difficult areas of responsibility that you have? Yeah, just really, it's a, it's a, obviously most, like most businesses is multifaceted, you know, in the legal role um, in the transportation industry, you know, your biggest product is your processes and people. And so really making sure that our employees are well taken care of and that, you know, um, they feel like they have a place to grow in the organization, protecting the organization from risk, you know, um, you know, and there are a multitude of those when you think about transportation, moving people around. And so those are some of the key challenges I, I face. And we haven't really talked about it too much, but I know we, one of your areas of responsibility is the brand protection or the use of your uh trademarks and so forth. Why is that relevant in the uh, transportation sector? Right. It is a great question. And it's um, it's critical because of everything I said about innovation, right? Everything you do, as you know, um, builds or detracts from your brand. And so if you're innovative and you're having a positive impact on the environment and, you, and you're known for that, you know, more people want to have a relationship with your brand. And so you want to protect it. In, in the transportation industry is no different. And so that's why brand protection is critical. And what challenges do you 
foresee like it in your space as it relates to brand protection in terms of, you know, changes that are happening as more and more people are on e-commerce or more and more people are on social media? What, what does that present as the challenge for you and your team? Yeah, just really making sure that people understand what the brand is and, and reducing the likelihood for, for confusion. Um, and so when things happen in the transportation systems, you know, making sure that people know the lines of demarcation, what is Keolis doing, what is the company responsible for and what it's not, because um, being very clear about that, you know, is critical, again, to protecting the brand, um, you know, making sure that people know that your organization is at least trying to do the right thing and, and not getting confused by other players or confused with other players. Because. It makes a lot of sense. And we've seen sometimes now in, in social media where people tend to and sometimes impersonate another brand, either for the purpose of redirection or for the purpose of, you know, getting consumer contact information, you know, some sort of nefarious uh, reason. I, I don't know if that's something you've seen happen in, in, in Kios, North America, or is that something that hasn't crossed your path quite yet or? Well, not at Keolis, but I've seen it a lot where people, you know, um, really try and rely on that likelihood um, for confusion to 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 kind of get customers to trust them, right? Because when you build a brand, it's about building trust, and and, and that takes time and work. And and as you get closer to mimicking a brand, um, it's more likely that customers will you you can usurp the trust that another organization has built. And so we're, we're always thinking about that. And as a lawyer, I'm always thinking about that and keenly aware of it. Yeah, makes total sense. Now, I've seen some articles, I think it was in Forbes, uh, where they highlighted you and your work behind uh, Street to Ivy. Can you share with us what, what that is, that project or uh, business you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So I talked to you about how I thought about becoming a lawyer and why it meant, um, you know, and, and how I got involved. You know, as you, you know, as the lawyer, your career takes twists and turns. But one thing that's never changed for me is my desire to be connected with the community. And so what Street to Ivy is, is a continuation of that. Um, it's really trying to help young people from underserved communities learn more about innovation, because I think innovation and entrepreneurship is a key to economic justice. Uh, when I went to Cornell, I went to business school at Cornell and I uh, won their innovation competition um, and really love that process. And so Streets Ivy is an attempt to bring that process to people who, in that knowledge, to people who otherwise might not have access to it. Or even know that it's something they really like to do and could really sink their teeth into it and really change, change, their, change their trajectory, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the way I look, think about it is design thinking and innovation. Even if you don't want to do business, if you know how to do it, you know, we teach young people about it. We can build a world, an army of change makers that can look at a problem. It may not be something they want to market, but they know how to, you know, they have a formula for how to address the problem, right? Yeah. You know, rapid prototyping, getting customer feedback from people that you're trying to solve the problem for, making sure it's viable, things of that nature. And I think it's important for everyone to know that, essentially. Yeah, totally. I think that's awesome. Uh, the interview I did right before uh, yours that we did last month, I spoke to Morton Syrup from Bang & Olsen, which is a high-end audio speaker audio company out of out of Europe. And 
he had a question he wanted me to ask you, which was, which of your superpowers are you most proud of? You know, I would say, um, you know, just committed, being committed, right? And seeing things through. If that was a superpower, you know, I, I believe it is, right? You know, things happen every day, but really having a vision and being dedicated to it and, and really getting others to believe in it and, and, and being a leader. Um, that that's, I think I can do that. You know, some may di disagree like anything else, but I, I think that I can. Sure. Um, and listen, that's awesome to carry on your shoulders to, to make that change, right. And to help people. So yeah, it's a good superpower. Yeah. goes, I think with your very first thing about being a discus thrower, you know, you got to have a lot of power. Yeah. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to, uh, a young person or someone wanting to pursue, a path similar to yours? What what kind of things would you tell that person to start thinking about or doing as a young person? The first thing I would say is a marathon and not a sprint. You know, um, really take your time and understand what it is you want to do. Um, and then the other thing I would say is about relationships, really trying to, you know, um, build relationships with people, genuine relationships, you know, because at the end of the day, when you get to a certain point in your career, that's what really matters. You know, you can move from organization to organization. It's the people that you meet and the and and those relationships that, you know, enrich the experience and also they they really help you professionally. Yeah, I think you're right about relationships. I think not only do they enrich your um life, but I think, you know, every once in a while you come across someone that actually changes your direction, changes your thought process, teaches you how to think, right? I mean, there are a lot of things that come out of building those great relationships. And, and I think that is really, really great advice uh, for a young young person, no matter what career you're choosing, right? Right. Uh, that's a key, key component for sure. Uh, is there anyone who inspired you during your career? Yeah, for sure. There, I mean, obviously, um, I've had a lot of mentors. You know, I have um, two in particular. Um, one is Wayne Budd, who was uh, Deputy Attorney General of the United States, who's been a mentor for years. Really, you know, a guy who um, is just always positive and great with building relationships and just, you know, from the technical side, it's one of the best. Um, and so, uh, you know, I really look up to him and, 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 and I benefited from his mentorship. Uh, another individual who, um, since, um, he's, he's passed away, but it's Justice Francis O'Connor, who, um, you know, um, was a, um, SJC justice here, um, in the state of Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Um, he was a mentor and his life story is amazing, you know, um, product of Irish immigrants who, who had nothing and, and, and this has always kept his integrity and, 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 and was very helpful and always there. And so that's what I try and emulate. Yeah, that's awesome. That is really great. You picked two pretty spectacular mentors and not everybody has the opportunity to, to meet uh, two people like that, but that's uh, a great story. And I'm sure uh, like you mentioned about relationships, but that's a life-changing mentorship and relationships that you have with those. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I credit a lot too. Yeah. And Tavares, the next podcast we'll do after yours will be with Tina Huckleberry, who's the head of IP infringement and coordinator at the Luma Stella company, which is a great little uh, gift company. And uh, is there something 
you think we should get to learn about her? I don't know if you know her, but if you don't, but what, what's the one thing we want to ask her and, and learn about uh, Tina? Yeah, hopefully it's not too heavy, but you'll see a consistent theme. I would ask uh, her, you know, what is her definition of social justice? You know, um, business is one thing, but how are we making the world better in the roles that we, we occupy? That's a great question. Well, we'll look forward to asking Tina that question, and, and uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll hear her answer together. Uh, following up on your question uh, to Tina, what what is your uh, vision of social justice? Right, a, an environment where everyone has an opportunity. Right, where we can get all the best ideas, and and everyone has a chance through their character and hard work to be what they want to be. Right. I think that um, when it's not that way, not only are those people impacted, but the world loses something because we, we, we don't ever hear about the great ideas that others may have. And so I think that we can all benefit from a place where um, we, we can learn from everyone and, and hear all ideas from every um, perspective. That's awesome. Uh, Tavares, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you guys. Well, it was very interesting to learn about your journey and your insights in the brand protection space. I have a few key takeaways that really resonated with me. And I'd love to share them with you. Number one, Tavares believes it's very important to make sure people understand what your brand is all about and the value proposition you bring to the community. Number two, for any young person wanting to pursue a career similar to his, Tavares's advice is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Take your time, understand what you want to do, explore opportunities. Well, that's it for us today. If you've liked what you heard, check out our next inspiring story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day. <laughs>